Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, this is the One Step Better podcast, and I'm your host, Mike Jaffer. With me today, as always, is Matt Patrick, and then we have a special guest today. Um, we'll get into uh, we'll get we're going to get into it a little bit with Mary Grothy of Sales BQ, or formerly Sales BQ now. Uh, House of Revenue. Um, and so, Mary, really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule uh, and just sitting down and talk with us a little bit. So what we're going to do today is uh, Mary has a really interesting story of where she's come from and where she's going and the, the owning of her business. And so we're going to share that with everybody today. And so, Mary, like I said, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate your time today. I don't know anything better I could be doing with my Thursday. <laughs> right? So true. So true. Hanging out with a so bunch of nerds. <laughs> Let's go hang out with a bunch of accounting people, right? It's, it's That's right. Hey, I spent years of my life in accounting and payroll, and so it feels like home when I get to hang out with you. Right. That's great. So, Mary, tell us a little bit about your story, um, where you came from, and, and really kind of what made you want to go out on your own and start your own business, and then give us kind of a recap of what you guys do. Yeah. I, I will spare you the details of my childhood, except tell you that I grew up in the performing arts, which is pretty cool. So I'm not a stranger to being on a stage. And I loved being on the creative side growing up. I had dreams of being a professional dancer. I was classically trained in ballet, tap jazz, and everything else you can imagine, and loved performing in musical theater and in acting. But when I was 18, I got in a serious car accident that took away my ability to dance. And I had a dance scholarship and was planning to go to CU Boulder, but my whole life just shifted in that moment because I didn't have a plan B. I didn't know, didn't know who I was without dance. I didn't have parents that, I mean, yes, they owned a small business. They owned the performing arts school and I saw them as entrepreneurs, but I had never been exposed to corporate America or a professional life or professional career. I knew nothing about it. I entered into a pretty rough period of my life for a few years, just trying to figure out who I was. And when I was 22, I found an ad in a newspaper for a sales assistant job at a big payroll company called Paychex. And they gave me this opportunity. I didn't have a college degree or any professional experience. And at 13 bucks an hour, I went on and I was working in a cubicle, you know, in an office and learned how to use a fax machine and send email and do things I had, I didn't even know existed. I had never really set foot in an office building before. And it was, what's that? No, not that I was laughing. Oh, you're laughing at me. Oh, hey, you no, want to laugh? You. With, with, with you, with you. Okay, the fax yeah. machine. If y'all can remember what that is, right. there's a phone on the side of it. And I'd never sent a fax and I didn't know what to do. And I like picked up the phone. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's not, uh, clearly, that's not how you send a fax. I love, love it. But, I would do the same thing. The first time I ever worked with a fax machine, it would ring and I would pick up the phone thinking, all right, this is what's supposed to happen. Yeah. And I kept saying, no, I need you to not answer the phone when it rings. That's amazing. <laughs> I actually feel so much better about myself. <laughs> Uh, but I ended up being a district sales assistant, a sales admin for the number one mid-market sales team in the country, which is such a blessing. I got to learn with the number one team, work underneath the number one sales manager and file the commission reports 
for the number one reps in the company, the top reps. And some of them were making in a month what I was set out to make in a year. And I started to ask myself, what is this thing called sales and how does one get into it? And my manager helped me on the fast track. I was able to get out in the field with the reps. I did some Dale Carnegie training. Fast forward, they put me in. Two years after being an admin, I got a spot on the team. I became the top rep in 30 days and I outsold everybody. The, that year, my quota was 150,000. I sold 758,000. They didn't know what to do with me and except say, how do we replicate that? We want others selling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they top. did make buy that like a pony. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I got the coolest opportunity. I got to watch my territory get cut in half and my quota doubled, but I got to train reps and managers across the country and help elevate the sales performance for everyone in the mid market and amazing opportunities being 25 years old. I loved it. Um, I left in 2011 and started my first company called butterfly creative. And I, I, excuse me, I should rewind. There was a short, short stop working for one of my clients as a VP of sales and marketing. They were startup-esque. They were 150,000 in revenue. I went in and helped quadruple revenue within seven months. And during that time, I built a team. I built infrastructure for marketing and sales and helped them get in a position to uh, receive an investment and help take them to the next level. At that point, I left and I said, I want to do this for a living. So I started my first company, Butterfly Creative. I ran it for three years. I worked with startups and entrepreneurs, and I helped them build their business plans to a point where they could reach a level of profit in a less amount of time than you know normal. Try to get them to profit in 60 to 90 days. I actually wrote a book about it. And then I had shiny object syndrome, got into youth entrepreneurship education, ended up creating a TV show that was on Fox Saturday mornings. I was on the radio. Anyway, super like distracted. It wasn't what I was going to do with my life. I met my now husband and decided to go back to paychecks for a few years. I had multiple top 10 finishes, sold millions. We got married, bought a house, had a baby, and I got a hundred thousand dollar commission check. That fire inside of me screaming, you're destined to run your own company. Quit taking the easy route and working for other people. Like, just go do it. I had a session with my business coach. We had a breakthrough moment. I realized how much fear and doubt was holding me back. And I finally, for the first time, started to believe in myself that I could really build an amazing company. Because the first time Butterfly Creative was just really me not knowing how to charge for my services, working myself into the ground because I couldn't delegate, taking on every project that I should never have taken on. And it was exhausted and I was broke at the end of it. That so is such a similar around, story. Yes. That, the second that time is around, a common, yeah. That first go into owning a business is, is a similar story you hear a lot of it. I worked myself into the ground and said yes to whatever came my way. I nobody had a price or to figure out who to hire and when to hire. It's a very common story. I love it. I mean, that's, but that's the entrepreneur. Well, that led you to where you need to be. You wouldn't have done it without that. Correct. And I was scared. I was scared this time around. I wasn't single. I couldn't eat ramen <laughs> noodles. I'm like survive. I, I had a family. I was a high income earner breadwinner. And for me to leave that, I married a blue collar man whom I love so much, 
but he's not gonna, he doesn't aspire to go climb the corporate ladder and, and make a lot of money. Like that's not what fuels him. It's not in his DNA and, and that's fine because it's yeah. in mine and we balance each other out perfectly with that. But it was scary to me. And now I know how all men feel um, about being the provider. And I'm thinking I'm leaving a job where I'm, I'm making $300,000 a year. And I'm just going to just be like, okay, let's start a company, even though the last time yeah. it didn't work out so great. But anyway, <laughs> I did it. We did a half million in our first year. And in our second year, we did 1.5, a very expensive 1.5. We had about a 16% profit on that 1.5. And then something crazy happened in March when the shutdown happened. We had prior to that been silo focused on rebuilding sales departments. The company was named sales BQ and BQ is the behavioral quotient. I love sales. Sales comes naturally. Sales, in my opinion, is the greatest profession out there. And I have a heart for taking mediocre salespeople and transforming them into something spectacular. And they can experience the living that I've been able to experience because sales is a great gateway for that. And that was our mission. But about a year and a half to two years in, I'm sitting here thinking we're hitting our heads against the wall because we're investing in these salespeople, but they can only take their performance so far. If the company truly wants to scale, they have to pay attention to their marketing department. They have to build inbound funnels. They have to have brand recognition. They have to speak their buyer's language. And we realized that the Achilles heel of sales growth was prospecting. It was either not being done or not being done well. And it was a management pool and nightmare. And so if we could supplement with warm, qualified leads through marketing, could the salespeople not then 2X, 3X, 4X their production because they have a full calendar? And lo and behold, the answer is yes. We then got into customer success as well as revenue operations. We're a HubSpot agency partner. Now in 2020, we just ran the stats. We had nine full service clients. We 2X MRR on average with our clients in 10 months. And that is everything from a two and a half million dollar company. We took to 5.3 million as well as a $14 million company that we took to 17.2 million now at a run rate to do 25 million. And they're doing 50% nearly EBITDA, which is mind blowing to see what we were able to do. That What's that, Matt? <laughs> I need to figure out that. So we need to figure out that because we're in the wrong business. Oh, I'll be more than happy. I, like I got it. I like, I, like I like the idea of 25 million revenue and 50% at the bottom. Sounds like a good model. I, I couldn't believe it. Is, I'm in. I couldn't believe it. A million dollars? Yeah. They made a million dollars in profit. They sell iPhones? <laughs> they sell iPhones? <laughs> yeah. No. I don't know. So anyway, yeah. the last part of this story is March 2020, COVID shut down, major bleeding financially, scary time. And this is where we had to double down with our team. This is where we made a commitment to rebuild our own company and to help our clients get through the pandemic and not just survive. I know that's so cliche, not just survive, but thrive. Uh, anyway, but that was really the point. And we said, we're not going to just get them through this. We wanted to do this with style points and we did, but we had to innovate. We had to iterate and we did. And so with that, 
come October, I'm sitting here thinking sales BQ, this name doesn't do us justice. People think we're sales trainers, which is fine. That's a fine profession, but that's such a small portion of what yeah. we do. And then we realize we've got to rebrand. We have to come back to the market with a new fresh name that they can say, okay, that makes sense. And house of revenue stems from when the shutdown happened and all that shaking occurred and lots of people had things fall off their business what was left standing was most likely built on a strong foundation. And our commitment is that we rebuild these revenue ecosystems for these companies ready to scale in a way that it's unshakable, that when the next storm hits, whatever it is, and however it's disguised, that it should still be left standing. And lastly, that marketing sales, customer success should live in the same house and should operate and function together, not well, there's a house over here. And then in the neighborhood over there, you've got your marketing yeah, yeah. strategy. Like it has to be together. So here we are. Um, we just completed our third year. We'll hit about 2.1 and um, raised about 10 points on our EBITDA. So it was a, it was a really fun year, best year yet. And um, I'm happy. I'm full of joy. My family is amazing. And we're so thankful. I, I say 2020 is the year I never knew I needed. And I'm so thankful for it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great story. So rewinding back to 25. No there's no passion. There's no passion there at all. Can you tell? <laughs> yeah. I yeah, love it's it. just something I, I got to wake up and do that J-O-B, right? Yeah. So rewinding back yeah. to you know, your, your early days, um, sales admin at the Paychex world. Um, at that point, ever a little bit of a fire in you that you knew down the road, this is, I, I want to own my own business. I want to be my own boss. I want to do my own thing. Or at that point in time, were, were you still pretty comfortable just riding the corporate ladder? I was very happy riding the corporate ladder at that time. It wasn't until I started majorly butting heads in 2011 with the executive team. I realized I was an entrepreneur when I was fighting tooth and nail for change because I kept identifying ways to do things better that had better outcomes and everybody wins. But yet corporate red tape, I was being pushed down, told, no, it's not going to happen. That's not how we do things around here. We've never done it that way. And it was at the expense of the employees' health and satisfaction. It was at the expense yeah. of the companies and the clients. And it was ludicrous to me. And I finally got to the point and the same thing happened the second round. And, it, and I'm not picking on that company. I'm so thankful for the career and what they did for me and the life that I had selling there. And I loved representing the brand. It's any large corporation. You get to a certain point, like go call your credit card company, go call your cable company, go call your cell phone provider, go call these big companies. And you're going to run into these same challenges. So this company that I worked for just got so big and it got to the point where the client experience just suffered and I couldn't stand by it anymore. And I couldn't rightfully collect money because I was great at sales and great at earning trust and getting people to say yes. But then the implementation backfired. The technology was failing. The support was non-existent. Like I couldn't stand by that. And that's when I knew that if that was worrisome to me and it kept me up at night, that I was created in a way to do something about it. And that's when I started to feel the fire of that entrepreneurial spirit. And 
I call it, that's why my first company was called Butterfly Creative because it was about transformation. It was going from the caterpillar to the butterfly and soaring above and being able to just have perspective. If you think about the caterpillar, when they're a caterpillar, their movement is so slow. They are, unless they're climbing a tree or a branch or twig or something to get perspective, typically they're down at ground level. They can't see everything around them. But the moment they evolve into that butterfly and they have those wings, the whole world changes. Everything that they never even knew existed is now visible. And in a lot of times, especially for business owners and entrepreneurs, it's seen as believing. We create our own ceilings because we ourselves don't even believe that the next thing is an outcome that's feasible or we could ever have. And so the Butterfly Creative was meant to be with these startups and entrepreneurs getting from caterpillar stage where they're like in here in a tunnel to being able to have perspective and, and visibility and spread those wings and see what they were truly capable of. But to, to answer your question in 27 minutes, I, that's a joke. I can't ever say anything. <laughs> I had it inside of me and I just feel like entrepreneurs feel like you either are one or, or you're not, or something happens in your life that changes your course. And then that's your new path. But I think it's very hard to see a lot of people who want to work for themselves that don't have this fire. Matt made a comment. Oh, there's no passion here. This is what fuels me. Yeah. I can take on anything but I was born for this. I was made for this. This is something that I kept trying to suppress and deny and work for other people. And I hated it. And I just quit every time. Yeah. yeah. Could well, you I ever see yourself going right. back into a situation where you were working for somebody else? Can I see myself? No, I've yeah. done that like three times. <laughs> and then I feel really bad for the person. Never, 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 never. <laughs> that's awesome. Right. I mean, Mary, that's what I see. I mean, it's the same thing for me. You know, uh, that's what I know we have a successful business owner that we're working with is because that passion just comes out of them, oozes out of their pores. Some people have created a job. Some people just, they took over from their family or whatever, who knows what happened. But the ones that I know are going to kill it are the ones that are like, okay, this is whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever I'm going to do as owner, I'm willing to do that. And that's, that, that comes with success. So you, you're, you're, I might say your, your end goal hasn't changed substantially over the iterations of, of, of the different businesses being, we want to help other, other businesses, mainly sales departments and the offshoots of that really win and, and take off. But the, it sounds like the way that you've gone about doing that has changed a couple of times. Take me back to whenever it was just you and you're working you know, hundred hour days <laughs> getting nowhere. Um, at what moment did you really realize that this isn't sustainable and we need to do something different? What was that? What, what was that like? Yeah, boy, the early days were tough, but I was on a mission and I was setting out to prove that the concept was viable in the market and that I was onto something. I found three brave CEOs willing to let me test this concept on them at the end of 2017, early 2018. And I- Test for money, right? Test, you got paid, right? Oh, I certainly got paid. Okay, okay. I did, I got paid. I asked them to each pay me $3,000 a month. I had no overhead. And so I had a $9,000 
salary out of the gate, monthly salary. I'm like, this isn't bad. You know, it didn't replace all of my income, right. but it wasn't bad. And, but I was working my tail off. We had nothing, you know, I didn't, now you look at what we have, we go work with a, a company. We may have done a similar project. So there are tools that we can pull from. There's experience we can pull from. Yeah. There's mindshare amongst our 12 amazing team members. But it was just me. I had to create everything from scratch. And I was like starting to work in industries. I didn't know anything about. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm doing three people's jobs at one time to prove that I could be a <laughs> fractional VP of sales. That's what I set out to do is a VP of sales model. I can lead three sales departments and be in three places at one time. And my clients uh, were all local. Three full-time jobs. I, it was, it was three full-time jobs and building a company. And I was driving five, six, 700 miles a week between, cause this was back when you like, you know, showed up to people's offices you had to go I had, they were not close together. Uh, they were very far apart, but I did it and I proved it out. And I remember when I made the decision to bring on my first team member as a contractor to take some of the overflow. And I vowed to not make the same mistakes as I did the first time, which was running myself into the ground, not delegating and so I started to bring on contractors and I learned the hard way how to bring on great team members. We had turnover in the beginning. I was finding that I was bringing people on to do the work, to get it off my plate, but I was having to babysit them. And so I was doing the work anyway. And I'm like, this is not good. So then I learned quickly, the contractor model wasn't great for our business because they're flighty. They're not committed. You can't tell them who, what, where, when, why is the contractor. I wanted it done my way, not their way. And I'm like, okay, I have to build enough cash flow in this business that I can hire employees and tell them how this is going to be. And so that was the next goal. And that was the next big step back in 2018 was to get to the point where I could bring out employees. And I, I have brought on my first employee in, in August. So I had contractors from uh, April to August. And then I converted the ones that I loved to employ, made them full-time. And then I just went to a majority employee model, which was a big saving grace for us. But I also noticed that my husband was beyond patient with me. But I could tell when it was getting to be too much. And we had a very young son at the time. He was just over a year old when I started the company. And I was traveling a lot. And my husband was uh, being an amazing support. But I made a commitment to him. I would tell him, by 4th of July, this is what's shifting in the business. And this is what you will notice is different. Here's why I'm doing this. By January 1, I'm doing this. By fill in the blank, I'm doing this. And so every time I could feel that I was pushing up against the wall and I was about to just explode... I'd map it out and give myself a timeline. I have 60 days to fill in the blank and that I would build the plan for it and execute it and get it off of my plate so that I could then move to the next thing. So as you look back over the years of, of doing your own thing, there's always those moments that you encounter that are, uh, I, I like to think of them as this, because of this, I know that this is going to be successful or it's really what kind of keeps you motivated. Share with us a couple of those those moments over the past few years that you can really look back to and, and know, you know what, I'm doing this for the right reasons. This is going to work that you kind of have to draw from the well every once in a while, just to stay motivated and engaged. Yeah. Draw from the well. Um, I would say like plug into the source. I'm an openly faith-based CEO and I had a shift inside of me in March because I was a closet Christian and would read the word and, and plug into that source and be fueled by sermons. But then it's like leaving Jesus in the car when I'd go to work and wasn't 
acting on the faith. I wasn't letting that flow out of me. I was being very marketplace driven and very, you know, what the world says and fit the mold of what a CEO is supposed to be. And when the shutdown happened, we lost all that revenue. I mean, I just realized I can't do this on my own and I couldn't do it on my own. It was, I lost so much in a three-day span and I was horrified. And I realized that I don't have to be because my faith and hope is in something far greater than my own ability to execute on this planet for my own flesh. And I was literally on my knees surrendering of take the whole company. I I don't want to go through this anxiety of what the heck is next for me. Like, just take it. I don't want it. Clearly I, I did a lot of things wrong. We, we were, we're falling apart. And it was a moment that I believe when I was able to fully surrender that I finally had the peace come in to, to realize that if it is God's will, it's going to happen no matter what. Now on this journey, I realize that if I'm aligned with, with the will for me and what I'm destined for, I believe we will always have something in, in the, and the path will be built below my feet while I am, while I am walking. And when I'm out of alignment and try to do things on my own or <laughs> have influence over situations or get too crafty in the way I'm complex problem solving in business, and I'm out of alignment with what I truly believe in my heart, then I notice things don't go well. And I have to tap into that faith and I have to stay strong in it, but our commitment is to serve first. And that those are our values have reshifted serve first scale second and succeed always breaking that down, serve yourself first. We have to serve ourselves. We have to take care of ourselves first, especially right now with everything going on with COVID and working from home and our kids are around and a lot of stress and uncertainty, whatever we got to take care of ourselves. We can't serve other people until we serve ourselves first. Number two is we have to serve the immediate people around us. And for our company, we say that's our team, that we work in teams with our client. Nobody's a hero. We do it together. I told you sales, marketing, and customer success have to live in the same house. Well, our team has to live in the same house. We have to be aligned. We have to serve each other. Then we serve our client. We serve our client. We work directly for CEOs that are second stage growth companies between about five and 20 million. We take their baby, their most precious dream that they're stuck and they can't grow it and they can't scale it. And they trust us with that. We have to serve them, not just their business. We have to serve them as the CEO and honor them in the work that they're doing in their greater mission and dream. And then scale second. Once we have all of that aligned, then we can put our revenue scaling strategies in place. Then we can do what we do with 2X and MRR in about 10 months. That's where our work shines. But third is to succeed always. And that's not the definition of success that the world tells us. It's a custom built definition based on that engagement with that CEO and our team. It's that a anything outside of the number and scaling revenue, what else defines success in this engagement? And we commit to succeed always. I don't know what you asked me, but I really felt like sharing that, I guess. No, Amen. that's great. It's Amen. always good to hear the core values that you have. That's great. I love it. You know, I, I go so, back to when our decision was to use those guys, use you, you guys, it was our ability to, we needed the ability to systematize our sales department revenue generation above what we've done before when i hear where you're at now you just systematize that even deeper 
Um, obviously, it, we were baby stepping our way into it, um, you know, uh, and our ability to find to handle the work on the back end is always our kind of our concern. Um, but that's what I, I liked about the approach you guys took was very systematized and organized way of doing uh, our sales our, our running and creating a sales team that can be repeatable, which was is a great. Yeah. So as you, as you, you branch out now, you're, I mean, you guys are handling, like you mentioned, the customer success side, marketing sales, that whole revenue generation and the, the, even the, the production of the revenue piece of it. Um, how has your, your own understanding of, or how has that shifted and changed your own understanding of running your business? Is this an outflow of, these are some things that you've had to struggle through and, and learn as you go, or are you really kind of taking the approach of, um, you know, this is something that you've learned that is super solid. It has to be done. And so many businesses are really trying to, to, to piece these things together in a very unorganized, unconnected way. I'm definitely learning. Question, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely learning as I go. And uh, Matt's been by my side for the last year and a half helping us with our company. And he has seen the evolution of it, not only as a client, but also helping us on the back end. And Matt taught, not that I didn't know about profitability and like how to get there. I'm great with numbers, but Matt brought it to me. Very much so. Huh? I'm awesome. You're a very good numbers person. Yeah. Yeah. You're awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Um, But you brought it to me. You got a career in accounting if you ever need it. Yeah. (laughs) You you brought it to me in a way that I could see where our blind spots were and where we needed to shift. And I, it was actually the first time when I realized a lot of my stress and pressure and frustration was coming from the fact that the way that we were growing and scaling was very expensive and costly, not just financially, but in my time and energy. And things were not a well-oiled machine. They say the plumber's pipes always leak. And here we are, our claim to fame of scaling companies and, and what we're doing for revenue But then on my side, we had some challenges internally and we were scaling so fast with lack of systems, with lack of infrastructure, with lack of uh, mentorship and development. And there were issues. And when that came crashing down in March, boy, was that made apparent. I'm like, okay, we grew too fast. We have to adopt the same principles that we teach and execute for our clients. And when we rebuilt, we adopted everything. We, we, in fact, built our own marketing engine with our inbound methodology. We put ourselves on HubSpot. We rebuilt our website on HubSpot CMS. We adopted new social media practices and and, um, ramped up our podcast and did so many pieces that we do for our clients. We revamped our hiring strategy and we just became our own best case study in what we were doing for clients. And by bringing that in-house and adopting our own methodology, which really sounds crazy to think, wouldn't you have started with yourself? But like, that's why there's a saying, the plumber's pipes always leak. You can be great at it for other people. It doesn't mean you're great at it for yourself. I had a friend who cleaned houses and she had the messiest house. She's like, honestly, I clean houses all day. By the time I come home, like the last house I want to clean is my own. And I can feel in that and I can share in that. So Mike, yeah, we had to adopt our own process and methodology. And now we're 10 times the company because we did it, but it's awesome being able to learn on ourselves. Like we just went through a massive rebrand. We rebranded one of our clients this year and we were navigating that and trying to figure out, there were some lessons learned, 
but we did a massive rebrand with ours. It was a much larger scale. And we worked through a lot of kinks behind the scenes. I'm like, Hey, now we've done it. And we have a lot of other clients looking at this and like, we want your brand, like do it for us, do it for us. And now we have like several rebrand projects. Um, but yeah, it started with us adopting our own, I guess, taking our own medicine, eating our own food. Yeah. I don't know. What's the saying? Yeah. One more analogy. Yep. Third. It's hard. Yep. It's hard. That's, you know, honestly, for most businesses, their own house is hard to keep in order. Um, the back office is not as important sometimes to their own businesses as the front offices or the sales side or the revenue generation and, and making the widgets and making the cookies, right, Mike, making the cookies. Making but the, cookies. the back office is where you actually make the money. And so, um, yeah, I've been I've enjoyed working with you, Mary, and your team, and uh, looking forward to more. It's uh, you have a unique model. Um, you know, it's a service-based model, but your people are um, really talented. So it's a challenge to um, leverage them the right the right way. And you know, it's hard to uh, systematize down downstream a little bit, which is maybe something we we'll work on in the future. Yeah, speaking of the back office, I so proudly and excitedly tell people the support that I have and with your team specifically, it's coming from the world of payroll and HR. I knew how important it was that we had that infrastructure out of the gate. And uh, not that uh, I just want to stress and, and reiterate that because you were talking about the back of house deal and I have felt like we've had such a great partner in you. So I want to say thank you for not only handling the payroll, the accounting, but you give us such great advisement month over month over month and without a partner like you and, and there's a mistake. So I had a little bit of arrogance because I've been good with numbers throughout my time. So I thought I could handle it and I thought I knew everything. And in that first year, I just thought I had the handle. And when we transitioned that over to you, um, you just opened up a whole new perspective for me. And I can definitely say that a part of the scale is definitely attributed to you and your team. And Casey and I had our QBR and she rocked her Colorado sweatshirt. So <laughs> that's awesome. Always try to, uh, try to impress the people. Where she's from she, uh, the Grand West Junction. State. Yeah, she, Grand Junction. Grand Junction. That's the, yeah. So I've never been that far west oh, in, in Colorado. Yeah. I'm sure it's beautiful. Out there. <laughs> the mountains it. back, the mountains still there? Are they still there over there? The mountains? <laughs> yeah. No, they, 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 I don't know. They just disappear. <laughs> like I that. didn't know if they just stopped at some point. You know, who knows? <laughs> They're not many in Nevada. So. Oh man. So Mary, where do you see, you know, obviously coming out of COVID, everybody is kind of uh, somewhat scrambling to try to predict the future, see where things are going. What is the market going to going to look like, you know, six months, a year from now. Um, so where do you guys see yourself going over the next year, three years, five years? What's the future hold? Well, one, we're not scared anymore. The fear that is being thrown in our faces and programmed in our brains coming through media and government and everything else, we've made the decision to not be scared because if we can thrive in this year and get nine of our clients thriving in this year, all nine, I should say, of our clients thriving this year, when you're faced with adversity, there's a decision 
what you have to make. Actually, there's probably like a lot of decisions you have to continually make on a daily basis because there is a lot of uncertainty. But when those decisions are being made rooted from a place of fear and scarcity, you don't yield good stuff, right? It's seed planting. And if you're planting bad seeds, you you yield a bad harvest. And so my recommendation, you didn't ask for this, but I'm going to weave it into this answer is that people start planting seeds from a place of abundance and thriving and certainty and passion and a, and a serving mentality attract different things. Just because the narrative that's being fed to us right now is that we should all hoard our cash and put our heads under a pillow and never leave our house or whatever it is. Yeah. Be smart. Like, please be smart in where your investments are and make good decisions, but don't put your head in the sand, be an entrepreneur, tap into that passion and your brilliance and the creativity, iterate, figure it out, innovate, solve a new problem that has risen in the market because of this and go forward. So where are we going three years from now, wherever our clients need to go so that we can continue to be brilliant for them and solve their problems. If you compare who we are as an organization today versus three years ago, you wouldn't believe we were the same company. And I'm proud of that because what we set out to accomplish in the beginning was based on my limited knowledge at the time. It was heartfelt passion to solve a problem I had identified. And as I learned more and realized how big that revenue problem really was, we did something about it and we have evolved. And now we tackle that whole problem. I encourage my team that we continue to look for those opportunities just because we are doing good today and we are getting great results does not mean we rest on this and get lazy and do this for three years until we become stale, outdated, and somebody else charges past us with a new idea. We will be at the forefront of that, God willing, as long as he wants us doing this. Passion. I love the answer. Every day, every, passion, passion, is, passion, uh, <laughs> yeah. passion. For the passion, first time passion. that I ever met you, you know, back in the day, you know, a few years ago, a couple years ago, uh, that was pretty evident, pretty clear at that point in time, the passion that you have. And uh, it's good to see that is just as strong, if not stronger today. So really appreciate you Fire taking burning. the time to talk with us, Mary. Yeah. Um, so if, if there's in, anybody out there that's listening that, that needs some help with some revenue generation stuff, where can they find you? Houseofrevenue.com. Find me on LinkedIn, Mary Grothy, G-R-O-T-H-E. Very good. And if you just need a pep talk, go back, go, go to Mary's LinkedIn, watch some of those videos. You're going to get fired up, um, does a phenomenal fired job up. of inspiring and, and bringing, bringing that passion to, to social media every day. So Mary, thanks for joining us. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure to work with you over the past couple of years and looking forward to many more. Hey, happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> thanks guys. Y'all have a great day and uh, we'll catch you next time on the What's a Better Podcast.